Hello and welcome to another episode of Tech Talk. You are listening to Arye Lightstone on the Nachum Siegel Network. You're listening to us either on jmintheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. And as always, we are extremely proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Uh, in honor of this being a week where I think most students went to school more than they stayed home because of the snow, uh, we're very excited to have two very special guests with us today. Uh, the first guest uh, has been a friend of mine for quite a long time, uh, and uh, we've had the opportunity to bond uh, both on the ski slopes as well as uh, talking about business and trying to understand the latest and the greatest uh, and some of the more cutting-edge opportunities that are out there. And he's going to share with us today about an industry of which I wasn't even familiar with prior to meeting him. Uh, I'd like to welcome my good friend Michael Schertz to the show. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hello, Arye. Thanks for that warm introduction. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time and joining us uh, uh, today on the show. We're excited Ooh. to hear uh, both what I consider an untraditional profession, but also how what might be a very traditional profession has advanced and changed a little bit with both technology and expectations of your customers. But before we get to that, I want to have an opportunity to introduce our audience a little bit to Michael Schertz's. Uh, Michael is from Long Island originally, currently lives in Queens, uh, married to an outstanding uh, Lady Yael, and a uh, proud parent of two young men. Am I doing okay so far, Michael? So far, so good. I rarely, I rarely get to know my guests quite as well as I know you, so I figured I would let uh, let everybody else know that how, that's how the case. How about you also. tell them about my form on the slopes? Oh, and uh, Michael happens to be an outstanding skier, which uh, you, which right. happens to be very, very true uh, and valuable. That's one of the first places that we had the opportunity to connect and bond. And not that this has anything to do with you as the first guest, but has a tremendous amount to do with the second guest. You know, it's very interesting where you hear some of these major business deals are being done and just... Last week, we heard about WhatsApp, uh, basically an application that uh, circumvents international texting charges uh, uh, for SMS, uh, was purchased by, by Facebook. Some reports at $16 billion, and some reports at $19 billion, and, and with a B, not with an M, billion, uh, which is a complete and total blow away, um, which was interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, something that, uh, that I think is... Uh, uh, you know, an interesting comment. So where do business deals like that get done? So leaving that part aside for a moment, Michael mentioned skiing. It happens to be that there is a skiing summit twice a year where the vast majority of the educational technology uh, industry leaders um, actually go away and they ski. And most of the deals that have taken place in education technology over the last four to five years, the major mergers and acquisitions, have taken place either in Vail or Tahoe or Utah, which I just find interesting. So, Michael, when we have an opportunity to buy out multi-billion dollar companies, I hope that we'll have an opportunity to do so from Beaver Creek. I hope so, too. That would sound, that would sound great. <laughs> yeah, so, which happens to be a very interesting segue because – well, we'll talk a little bit about how, what you did before your current business. Travel is really the major focus of what you're doing now. So what's the name of your company and what is it that you do? So we are called Imperial Smart Flyer. My grandfather, actually my great-grandfather with my grandfather started this company. And it's being passed down in the generations. My uncles are now the two owners and I am currently working with them. And... It used to be a business of just a full-scale travel agency, you know, what you would think of. You're going on a vacation, if you need a corporate event, business travel, everything. And 20 years ago, uh, my grandfather decided to turn the business upside down and see, you know, where we were, where we were most profitable. And it was in the corporate, um, in the corporate side. So we, our main focus over the last 20 years have been business and first international tickets and high-end hotels along with that. Um, it's just very one, two, three. Uh, we kind of had a knack for it. We kind of learned the business before the Internet even came out. So we learned how tickets were, were built and structured. And by knowing the rules so inside and out, we were a lot of times able to find anomalies that most people um, do not find. Even if you go to American Express travel, they don't even know a lot of these anomalies. But because we're so versed in all of the 
rules of these tickets were most of the time able to lower cost of people's tickets. So that's been the business. Recently, we partnered up with a company called SmartFlyer, hence the Imperial SmartFlyer, who is a leading agency that does high-end travel, and they actually have a very strong presence on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and really that's how a lot of the agents on that side have gotten a lot of their clients through through just posting. They, they travel all the time. They post their trips on online, and, you know, people, they have 30 hits within 20 minutes. Oh, well, were you? I have to go on this trip. When can I talk to you to book this trip? It definitely falls in line with, with your show of where this industry is going. But so you, you, you is, said a lot of yeah. things, Michael. I'm going to cut you off for just one moment, and I apologize, because really made three comments that I'd like to – sort of focus on for a minute, because to me, it, what what excites me, and I believe many of our listeners about the show, is <clears throat> technology is interesting, um, entrepreneurialism is interesting, but really it all comes down to the adjective of having vision, right? Whether you're creating something from scratch, or if you look where your grandfather was 20 years ago, even prior to the internet, if, if somebody were to say that they were in, you know, a, a travel, if they had a travel agency today, your first reaction would be, who needs a travel agency? I've got kayak.com or Expedia or whatever, Travelocity, whatever the things would be that people tend to use. But you pivoted away from that uh, even before that was necessarily a challenge. My, my assumption would be, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I hope, um, that most travel agencies today are struggling, but those on the highest end, which you seem to be dealing with, I imagine are probably more successful than ever. Correct. Very well said. Um, it happens to be that the internet has cut out the market for the for the lower and middle market of the travel. You know, so for a lot of domestic travel, for economy travel, um, the internet is certainly the best place. But when you're talking about the high end hotels and you're talking about business and first class travel, um, a travel agent will normally have the best contracts with the airlines. And for hotels, we have just as good of benefits as American Express which is a, a big, um, it, it, a lot of people say, well, I have American Express Platinum. Well, the relationships that I personally have with all these high-end hotels are normally better than what American Express can even offer. So you so, become, for the person who prioritizes time and comfort over uh, maybe a couple of dollars, but they need that trip, they need to be on their A-game, whether they're, what, what's your most common flight that you're booking? What are the destinations? I mean, because we do a lot of corporate travel, a lot of our travel is to is to Europe and and Asia. That's really where I would say the biggest bulk of our of our trips are, as that's where the business people are going. But if I were to tell you about the leisure side, it's really all over the world, from from South America to to Europe, all over, and you know the world extended. So, so are you seeing a lot of? Uh first-class uh, business travel to, to the Dubai-type areas? Is that still a popular? You know, we heard about that five, six, seven years ago. I haven't heard as much about that recently. Right. Well, people actually are traveling there. The, 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 the travel and the service there that they provide happens to be amazing, as, as, awkward, as, I, as awkward as I feel saying that. Right. But um, it happens to be a popular destination for business also. You know, people meet with... I guess a lot of oil people from from Dubai, so it's, it's definitely a popular place to go to now. But I mean, more of the typical stuff, as in as in London, Paris, Switzerland, um, those places, and and all over really Asia are are booming. I mean, people so, it's like it's funny. Asia is a is a twenty five twenty four hour flight, and people are going there, you know, for for two days and coming home. Well, at that point in time, for the people who need to be on their game for two days, I mean, I remember. Uh, you know, when we used to travel a little bit growing up, so, you know, anything less than two weeks wasn't worth dealing with the jet lag. You know, you have right. people who need to be on their game when they're there for 24 hours or 36 hours and equally on their game when they're back here. Uh, and I'd have to imagine at that point in time, there's no replacement for the comforts of, of some of these first class opportunities. Right. What do you, exactly. do you have a, a preferred or from your customers, is there a preferred airline that they get the absolute best service for these types of trips? Are you allowed to say that, even if there were? Well, I, I, I absolutely am allowed to say that. Um, I 
it happens to be that that Emirates, you know, or or Singapore Air happen to be some of the nicest five star airlines. But between me and you, any any really nice business or first class, and now everything has, you know, fully flatbed seats. A lot of things have these huge screen TVs. The service is amazing. It's almost like, you know, you'd be happier staying on these airplanes for vacationing on these airplanes for a week. That, that's how nice they really are and comfortable. So the, 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 the front of the plane is, is really an incredible place to be if anyone's been fortunate enough to fly that way. And from the the customers that you have or the clients that you have, you know, we focus on our show a lot with um, sort of new technologies that are there. Um, are you seeing a lot of what I would call new businesses doing this type of instantaneous travel? Are you seeing sort of more of the private equity, hedge fund, um, that type of travel? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely seeing more of the private equity, hedge fund, international law firms. Uh, just because they already have that, that that capital to do it, a lot of these new businesses are are smart in the sense that that they're not going to all of a sudden throw all their dollars, you know, into flying first in business class. They're more worried about putting money back into the company. Uh, but but a lot of these established companies are, are definitely flying. You know, if they're going past six hours on a flight, they're definitely in the front of the plane. Right. I almost feel like when Facebook and, and ultimately Google went to buy, uh, you know, Waze, which is sort of the, the famous saying, I almost right. feel like people didn't actually even go from San Francisco to Israel. It, it, it almost strikes me as part of the new age, um, you know, relationships. It almost feels like they probably conducted most of those conversations over Skype. I have no way of actually saying whether that's it's, true it's, or not. It's actually but, funny that you say that. I was with someone uh, a couple of weeks ago who was telling me how how his business, they're more, they have the old school philosophy where, you know, even though they have, it's like go to meetings.com, you know, where you can put everyone up on a screen. He says, we like to have that personal connection, that personal touch. And people appreciate that more. You know, it's very, when you're, you know, we're on the phone now. I mean, I know you as a friend, so I feel very comfortable talking to you. But even if you're on a screen, not in the same room, there's a different feeling. So people still, still value, you know, being face to face with someone. Um, as being the best way to conduct the deal and to make something happen, as you said at the beginning of the show, you know, so many deals in the in the in the in the education world have happened on the ski slopes. You know, when people are are enjoying you know a nice day together or they're out in the sun, they can really connect personally. That's really how deals happen. So I think a lot of people make it a priority to get face to face with people, no matter where they are on this planet. Yeah, and this is going to be an interesting juxtaposition to our next guest. Um, just wanted to remind the listeners that uh, you're listening to Tech Talk on the Nahum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone, and you can listen to us on jmintheam.org or nachumsegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. A special shout-out to ZK. Uh, for producing this show and making sure that everything would go uh, smoothly. Uh, we have a guest this first half an hour with Michael Schertz, uh, who's explaining about uh, really a family business, but one that seems to be changing and keeping up very much with the times, maybe even ahead of the curve, uh, based upon some uh, moves that your grandfather made uh, quite a while ago. Um, and to me, you know, we were just focusing on the fact that, that Michael said you, you make the relationships on the ski slopes. You uh, you know, in person, which is obviously a, a really important component. Um, but the second piece, which I think is is interesting, is that the kids and our, our guest, the second half an hour is going to talk about some of this uh, new education technology things. We'll have kids who grow up or the next generation of kids are going to grow up um, where it's almost second nature to speak to people um, in in person and first nature to communicate with them via texting, the iPad, the whatever else would be, even perhaps your teacher. Um, so I wonder, you know, where the travel industry will pivot then, will then move mostly to leisure, or that's only with some of this newfangled stuff. You're not going to change law. You're not going to change private equity. You're not going to change the funds. I'm not asking you to predict the future, but I just wanted to sort of throw that out there as a thought, Michael. Right. Well, I mean, as you know, um, someone once told me that Charlie Rose interviewed the CEO of Coca-Cola, and Charlie Rose asked him, what is the scariest thing about today, you know, in, in your business? He said that it used to be that we were only dealing, you know, 
nationally, you know, at most, really, you know, statewide, but then nationally. Now it's really you're dealing on a global scale. So everything is, you have to be, I have to be just as good as the guy next door to me on Fifth Avenue, and I have to be just as good as that guy in London, you know. So I, I, I don't really see the travel world going anywhere. And, I mean, as I can tell you where I find most of my clients, most of my clients happen you know, when I'm sitting on an airplane when the flight's delayed and you just strike up a conversation with the guy and he happens to own a private equity shop and he happens to want to give me a shot, and then there goes that, you know. So even though the world, I think, is going in that digital, you know, online um, way, I definitely think that the personal connection when, when it comes to business is definitely going to be number one and, and the most important way to do things. I mean, as everyone says, when you're going to do a deal, you know, they, they really want to look in that person's eyes and make sure that they're honest. You know, you can't really look into onto a screen and really see. You know, everyone could put up put up a face, you know. But right. you, you, really you can't, you can't read really the room, and, and that's really where the masters work their best. And I think what you said right now is a brilliant point. I, I'm, I hadn't even thought about that before. The global economy not only expands the people that you can potentially have as customers, um, but it also expands your horizons in terms of competition. And right. that seems to be an obvious point, but, you know, in, in some industries, you don't necessarily think that. And you, you think that you, you go from Madison Avenue or from Wall Street, and you now have an opportunity to go ahead and, and get that customer that you want from wherever they might be. But now you're competing with that firm in Shanghai and that firm in London, that firm in Paris, and wherever else they might be coming from, that's really excellent. It's maybe I have to even try even harder now to make sure that I'm there and I'm in front of them. Um, so just because, you know, I think it would probably be fun, what, what, what's the, I guess, most challenged uh, situation you've had in terms of trying to meet some ridiculous request by, uh, by a customer at last minute or what it might be? Well, that's actually, the truth is most of our, most of our requests kind of happen day of on, on the corporate side, you know, where people are, asking, you know, there's a flight to Asia in two hours, I need to be on it, and I need to be home on this so-and-so date. So that definitely happens all the time. But the biggest challenge, I would say, was I once had a client who had a meeting in Amsterdam, and of all places, and it was during some soccer tournament. And it was a new client, never did a trip for him before, and it was literally two days before I met him. He said he has to go. I'll give you a shot. Every hotel was sold out. And I ended up making calls. And through this one connection at this hotel that I had there, I the guy, the GM at the hotel, walked another client from this hotel and gave my guest a room at this hotel. And <laughs> it ended up winning me winning me a client who is, who, thank God, is still with me. But... You know, you're able to, to swing certain things. But people's expectations, they don't care if you're busy. They don't care if things are sold out. They want they want you to get the job done, you know, no questions asked, you know. So that is, that's the pressure that I deal with, you know, every day that nobody wants to hear excuses, especially on this level. They just expect results. So Right. You, you at, ironically enough, in a business that's been taken over by technology, you're really staying ahead of the edge by being able to circumvent the technology with old-fashioned relationships. Uh, there's nothing I can do on Hotel.com that enables me to call the general manager of whatever hotel it would be and to have them do me a favor because I send them enough business. Correct. And the truth is that with all these high-end hotels, they really value the relationships with the travel agents more because they're the ones that are sending them these big and long-standing bookings. You know, you're not going to go away with your entire family, REA. You know, not knowing if you're going to have connecting rooms, you want to make sure that you can arrange kosher food, you want to make sure all, all these different things, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have a full-time job planning your own vacation. You know, so you need someone that can really, you know, have fun contact with the hotel, make sure that the clients are going to be comfortable in their room and, and the layout of the room, make sure there's enough family space there, and having one room connecting, two rooms connecting, these are all things that, you know, bookings.com, which is great, you know, for for the right clientele, but for a big family high end trip, it doesn't really provide that that service that we are able to to give to our clients. So, and, and that's classic. We were speaking about this with actually our YU students that we had on on last week's show. Who I was just so impressed by their both ingenuity and and lack of need of sleep. 
Uh, you know, I guess <laughs> were two things that really impressed me. But they, we were speaking, I guess, maybe even offline about vertical upselling, that once you have a customer, and that really has to do with why Facebook bought WhatsApp, you, once you have that customer, so how else can you monetize them? And you're saying, I have a highly demanding customer who, who doesn't want excuses, wants the job done, and might need to be in Asia in six hours from now, even though that's not possible, but you know how to get that done. That same person doesn't then go stay in you know, a Holiday and Express on their family vacation. So with your connections, you're able to, if you cater appropriately, I imagine, for the family or for the professional, you're able to cross-sell from one to the other. Oh, absolutely. Listen, if, if you do a good job for me, I'll be sure to tell my best friend that go to Aria next time. And, and that's really how, how my business has, has grown over these last you know, couple of years because if you do someone a solid, you know, they want to do you a solid back, and they say, you got to use my guy. He's amazing. This is what he did for me last time. He pulled this great move for me, got me this great upgrade, or showed me this great new hotel, which I never even heard of before. So that's, it really is staying ahead of the game. My grandfather always stresses how the reason why we've succeeded for over 50 years in this, in this industry, which is ever-evolving, is really because we're not scared to, to you know, take that leap of faith and try the next thing and, and just, just foresee the future and, and be there before it gets there. All right, so you're, you're listening to Tech Talk with R.E. Lights, and we're very uh, blessed to have Michael Schertz, a good friend and, and discussing a, a very interesting business, and I would say it's profoundly untechnological, but it's highly entrepreneurial. And, uh, and to me, that's uh, you know, very exciting to be able to see all ends of the spectrum. Uh, Michael, talk to me or talk to us for a moment about, I see how you provide a service above and beyond what uh, even American Express or whoever else could wind up providing. Do you, are you, th- I don't want to use the word threatened, that's certainly the wrong type of word, um, is there a threat from the private plane industry, uh, you know, the sort of I can rent time? And I imagine a lot of these people who need to be in Asia tomorrow uh, or tonight and, and figure that out in the morning probably have the wherewithal for even greater flexibility. Right. Well, I, I think if you look at the prices of, of these private planes, you would you would take that question back. Okay. But, <laughs> but um, I mean, most people will, will travel – I, I think the rule of thumb is that if you can get there on a nonstop flight throughout the U.S., you take that flight. But if you have to do a connecting flight, you take a private plane. Once you get to international, it just gets so expensive because then you have to, you know, you have to pay for leaving the plane in the plane parking lot in the hangar. You have to pay for the pilots. You have to pay all the taxes of international waters. And also taking a private plane, which is not as tested and not as, you know, um, I guess, taking care of, like, the commercial planes, as we know, how many times we stuck on the tarmac, you know, or on the runway, and they say, we have a problem with something, we have to go back, and, you know, it kills your entire day. But most people don't take their private planes um, overseas, you know, going going to London or going past it. Some people do, you know, and they have the big planes, but most people don't, and just the, the comfort that people have of flying Business and first, I mean, you're really treated like like royalty. Where you know they 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 take care of you, and you know sometimes they even drive you, you know, from the turn from the lounge right up to the plane door that you come in through with even a different entrance on some plane. So, um, it almost feels like a private the, private experience. I'm not waiting in line with uh, with you know a hundred other people and and you know oh, being pushed out of the way by the person with the stroller, which private is normally planes me. Private are are amazing. They're they're really incredible, but. You know, it's it's uh, I think it's like ten times more than than it would be for a, a first class ticket and wow. a lot of lot okay. of flights. So yeah. So maybe in two thousand and six that was something people were considering more strongly. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But but private aviation is definitely amazing, but definitely does not interfere with my business in, in the slightest. Uh and, and just in, in the couple minutes that that we have left, if if you would, you know, sort of the office that you open here, the office, while the business is not new, the office is new. What are some of the challenges in being able to go out and to do something like that on your own? You know, sort of the, the things that you're like, wow, if I could have done this over again, maybe I would have rethought about this part of how I opened up or, or wow, this I did and this made a lot of sense. I would strongly recommend this to other people out there who are sort of opening up their own offices. Right. Well, the beauty is, is that I really had I wasn't really starting a new business. You know, I really had that total infrastructure, which is based in Montreal. 
Um, and with technology, you know, we have voice over IP phones, we have Internet, we have video conferences. So, you know, on any given notice, it's almost like I'm next to my uncles or next to my grandfather, and, you know, have a, I have a question, they're a dial away. I have an email question, you know, they send back an answer in, in 30 seconds. So it's almost like I'm, I'm literally with them, I just don't, don't see them. So working is really seamless with them. And I, I just wish I had, you know, someone to help me keep my desk a little cleaner. That, that's my one, you know, regret. But okay. besides that, it's pretty good. <laughs> now, besides from that, it is pretty good. And I have to imagine then you get to do some pretty cool travel yourself and call it research. Um, yes, that is one of the incredible perks of my business, which my wife uh, will never divorce me because of this perk. Uh, um we are able to, the, the hotels like to show um, travel agents the, the properties because when I get to experience the property, I'm going back and I'm going to raise it to everyone who, who will listen to me because most of these places are, are a dream. I mean, they're so dreamy half of these resorts and the services. It's just incredible. So they allow me sometimes to come down for a day or two to experience the place. And it's amazing for me and my wife get some R and R, and I also get to see the property. And I, a lot of times, it's lead to multiple sales to this resort. So it definitely pays for the for the hotels to do it, and it's a great perk that I'm able to benefit from. And and it's it's good, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a win win, which sounds really exciting. I, I would really like to ask the question, so I'm going to ask it quickly uh, for kosher travelers. In the time that you've been in the industry, and I'm sure the time since your uncles and grandfather have been in the industry, uh, it seems like you can get quality kosher pretty much everywhere. Are you seeing that, or are you getting strong requests for that? Is that an added benefit going with your company? Yeah, I mean, just because I am kosher and because some of my clients are kosher as well, I've been asked this question a hundred times. And I can tell you pretty much throughout the, the travel world, you know, which is like all of Italy, all of France, a lot of Asia. I mean, you could find between the Chabad, which is incredible, between these gourmet kosher food places that will cook you fresh gourmet meals, deliver it to your hotel, and put it on nice plates. It, it's pretty easy, if you're willing to pay for it, to get kosher food wherever you are. That's incredible. Okay, so I can just give... How does somebody reach you, Michael? We've got lots of listeners, and probably many are very successful and anxious to have an opportunity to uh, to use your services for either recreation or professional. So how do they reach you? So the best way to reach me, I guess, for this type of venue, I guess, would be my website at imperialsmartflyer.com. But you can also reach me at my email at michael at imperialsmartflyer.com or my office at 646-383-4933. Okay, so I, I wanted to thank, uh, on behalf of the Nachum Siegel Network and RE Lightstone here on Tech Talk, Michael, for uh, jumping on the line with us, giving uh, of your time uh, for us and for the show. And, and to me, it's fascinating. It's an industry I didn't really understand. And, and through the entrepreneurial spirit, you're even able to stay not only relevant, but more than relevant, uh, critical uh, in, a, in an age where technology has taken over so much of that personal interaction. So, Michael, thank you so much for being on the line. Thank you for having me, Ari. Have a great day. YouTube. Thank you. Uh, so you are listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, R.E.A. Lightstone. We are pleased, as always, to be sponsored by Adorama Camera. You can find them online at anorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. You can listen to us on jmnam.org or nachumsiegel.com. And we are extremely happy this today to have the opportunity to have two very diverse guests. Uh, we had the chance now to listen uh, to Michael Schertz from Imperial Smart Travel, and I would encourage all of our listeners to check them out. It certainly sounds like a uh, valuable resource uh, for both the professional and the uh, personal high-end travelers. And now we're going to have on Dr. Eliezer Jones. Uh, Dr. Jones has been a mentor of mine uh, for a while, and uh, he has been sort of at the cutting edge of education. Ignore education technology for a moment, but the cutting edge of education since I met him for the first time, I'll say now, 11 years ago. Um, and he's been somebody who I think a significant part of the education world has looked up to for creativity, um, for uh, keen insight, and I think for, you know, now uh, in the last 
I don't know, uh, Eliezer will tell us in a minute for how long the, the focus has been on technology, but I remember coming and seeing him at, at running the education at the NCSY regional in LA, uh, again, nine, ten years ago, and being blown away that I had never seen an educational presentation in that way. And I'm like, that that's a guy who gets it. And uh, I think we have uh, Dr. Jones on the phone. Are you there, Doc? I'm here, Arye. Great to be here. Uh, thank you for coming on the line. So uh, so you're on Tech Talk. I'm your host. We obviously know each other. And, and for our listeners out there, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Eliezer Jones has been, as, as I was saying, really a role model of so many, uh, certainly students, but many, many teachers and administrators in, in the world of education, both informal and formal, uh, affecting really, we'll call it Houston West, uh, back, back in L.A., if I'm correct, Doc, right? Yes, that's correct. Right, uh, and then uh, sort of the rest of the world via technology. Um, and uh, so we're excited to have you on. And uh, what I wanted to do uh, over the course of the time for the remainder of the show was both to hear from Eliezer. You know, we've spoken to some educational technologists in terms of what they've developed, but Eliezer is really on the, the other side, both implementing and teaching others how to implement. He's also involved in the creative uh, creation component as well. But to me... Uh, we at the YU and others are hosting a, a conference in now uh, a week, a week and a half. Uh, and uh, just like we spoke uh, several weeks ago about the Orlando um, Educational Technology Conference, uh, this is sort of the one geared for Jewish day schools. And, uh, and Eliezer is one of the key uh, components of making that conference tick and all the creativity that's involved with that. So, uh, uh, Eliezer, just t- tell us a little bit how you got involved in education technology to begin with, if you don't mind. Um, sure, and uh, again, just thank you for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be on here with uh, someone that I also have known for a long time and uh, also look to as an expert in this area, so uh, very happy to be here with you. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of been a long journey. Uh, you mentioned NCSY, and I, I think that besides sort of just growing up and being a tinkerer and, uh, you know, exploring and just loving to learn, once I jumped into NCSY, I realized there was a need to really create programs that were engaging for, you know, for the kids that were showing up to these events. And up to that point, you know, we were doing very sort of traditional uh, programs, and NCSY is not, you know, it's, it's informal, it's not meant to be traditional. Uh, and really under the guidance of, uh, I don't know if you remember or know, Rabbi Daniel Lerner, uh, who was the, he was the director at the time, and he really was a visionary. And he was like, you know, out of the box, do what you want, and we did. We started to do uh, a lot more uh, integration of multimedia and technology, uh, and that was really 10 years of my life while I was getting my PhD in clinical psychology, so really trying to understand, you know, human development and um, that side of it. And then I got a call from, and I don't know if you've ever mentioned his name, but he's worth mentioning, Rabbi Ari Siegel, uh, who sure. is the head of school now in Shalhevet, uh, but he was the head of school at Barron in Houston, and he basically recruited me to move there. Um, and if you know the weather there in the summer, it's not, it's not an easy recruit. Uh, but uh, I had some family there. My wife was ready to go. So we moved down to Houston, and he was really looking for more of that in the classroom, at which point I got connected with the Lookstein Center for a fellowship on educational technology, which is connected to Jim Joseph. I mean, I know this is going on and on, which then connected me to YU. Um, and that's where they brought me on to say, okay, we love what you're doing, but now we want you to do it, you know, for the country. We want you to train teachers um, in these models, in these, you know, these ways of teaching, which was education technology and blended learning. And that's kind of what brought, it's brought me to this point. Um, now the Director of Educational Innovation for the YU School Partnership um, and some exciting things kind of coming in the near future. So that, um, to me, first of all, you told me you, you probably walked through the entire timeline of organizations that have been at the cutting edge and how they got there. But what echoed to me, and I think that when we had O.V. Jacobs on from Late Night Labs, maybe my second show, commented, he said, you can have a phenomenal product, but if the administration, if the sort of the head honchos aren't excited about pushing the envelope, if they're not excited about changing, especially in an industry like ours, whether it's NCSY or the classroom, and you're not getting the push in order to grow, um, you know, that uh, that becomes a big deal. Um, and uh, it sounds like whether it was Rabbi Lerner or it was Ari Siegel or now uh, YU, uh, that you've been given sort of that uh, that blessing to go ahead and to experiment. A hundred percent. I mean, I you know, you know this, but 
leadership is key. I mean, you know, Scott Goldberg is the one who hired me. He's a visionary. I now am supervised and, you know, who runs the White School Partnership now is Jane Cohen, who, again, are two individuals who say, you know, Eliezer, we want you to go out there, experiment, see what's going on, you know, really not putting too many restrictions in my ability to affect change. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that I've had bosses along the way that have, you know, stifled me and put me in a box and, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me, and I don't think it works for schools. You need leadership that's open, that's willing to explore new things, you know, within reason. You know, you don't want someone who's, you know, every, you know, every summer is like, great, we're doing a new thing, because that becomes very frustrating and the school doesn't move forward. But someone has a true plan, a true vision, who's willing to implement, you know, that's the secret ingredient to, to positive change in a school. Okay, so you said all the right things. So I'm going to ask a, a question that I know I want to hear the answer to. I'm assuming many of the uh, listeners that we have also are interested. I'm, I'm married, Arya. I'm sorry, I'm married. <laughs> Everybody, thank you. Thanks, Doc. Everybody is excited about leadership who allows for creativity until something doesn't go right. So I, yeah. I, you've got a teacher, they're now implementing a, a, a great, or what they anticipate is going to be a great education technology endeavor, a different program, it doesn't even need to have to do with technology, And for my eighth grade kid. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen, it didn't work, there was a hiccup, and we can name 55 things why some of these things don't work, and oftentimes having nothing to do with the implementer or the product, and that principal now gets a call from that kid's parent. Is there something special about those leaders that enable them to explain a way that, yeah, if we want to try new things, we have to, you know, on occasion not succeed, we have to on occasion fail? What's that like? Because I know that you're always expanding people's horizons. It can't always work. Absolutely not. It doesn't always work. Um, I think, you know, there's no perfect answer, uh, but I think that I see sort of two different sides of when it's working and when it's not. And failure is part of both of those things, um, but when it's not working, when it really is the fault of the school, the teacher, the head of school, whatever, is when it's not part of a larger plan, when it really is, you know, just sort of, you know, chasing a fad. So it's like, great, oh, iPads are really hot right now, and the foundation's going to give us a million dollars, we're going to take it. That's a mistake, you know, and because it's being implemented without any, you know, without any sort of thinking, without, you know, maybe taking even a year to, to train the teacher. So when that happens... And there's a mistake. I think there's blame to be given. However, when it's part of a plan, when it's, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to try this for the next three months and we're going to reflect and we're going to be transparent, then when those mistakes happen, that's part of the process and you learn from it. But you have to know it's part of the process. If you have no process, the mistake is truly a mistake and it's not, it's not failure, you know, for the sake of learning. It's just plain failure. So those are the two sides of it where, uh, where I've seen it be successful and not be. And, and speaking frankly, as somebody who sees a huge spectrum of the Jewish day schools, how much of, uh, and it's silly to put a percentage by this, but, but give us your, your opinion, if you, if you will. How many schools do you think are, have a real plan? And how many schools are sort of reacting, either keeping up with the Joneses or doing it because a donor pushed it? it it's, what's your impression of the industry? Right, so it's hard to put a number. I, I can only, you know, tell you a little bit. You know, we get a, I get, I get a lot of calls. Of what, you know, the White School Partnership gets a lot of calls from schools who are asking for help. Um, and I think, I would say it's, it's certainly shifting to more schools wanting to start the planning process. But certainly, two years ago, three years ago, it was a lot of chasing what was what was hot, what was a fad. Um, and we, you know, unfortunately, they've learned it the hard way. They've wasted millions of dollars. Um, there are more schools calling us saying, hey, can you help us with an educational technology plan, a 21st century learning plan? Um, but I still think the majority probably is still suffering from chasing, you know, the fads as opposed to thinking about what's best for the students, regardless of what technology is out there. Right, which hinders their ability to launch new and perhaps more well-thought-out programs, uh, because then there's always the naysayers saying that we spent XYZ on ABC, <laughs> that didn't work. Um, you know, why, why are we going to try again? And that's, uh, that all falls within the concept of the plan. And I think that's very important because we have, out of all the listeners that we have, I know that we have entrepreneurs, I know we have technologists, and we have parents who send their kids to school. We have administrators and we have educators. And, and I would encourage everybody out there, whether your school is a YU school or not, uh, to at least reach out to YU 
uh, school partnerships and, and a plan, I think, is absolutely critical. It's, uh, you know, you see these schools sort of repeating mistakes that other schools have made, and that doesn't need to happen when you have such a resource like uh, like Scott Goldberg and Eliezer Jones and, and the whole YU team. Want, want to remind everybody who's listening to us, whether you're an educator or a technologist or just a parent of a student or a student yourself, that you're listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmandtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. We are very proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. It actually happens to be, I had a chance to stop in the store again not that long ago and had some pretty cool educational technology conversations with the fellow, uh, or actually with the lady who was running the, uh, the tablet uh, area. And she was explaining why some schools had moved away from the iPads and had been doing some of the Android device. I just thought that was pretty interesting that Adorama, they were able to help me with that. And apropos to our... Uh, to our current guest, uh, Dr. Eliezer Jones. Um, wh- what do you find most exciting in our industry today? Uh, so that's, I love that question. For, I mean, you know me for a while, but I get excited about these, you know, what's happening in education. I do think that to be an educator today is probably the most exciting time in our history. I mean, if you're not walking into a school as a parent or student and teachers aren't jumping up and down because they're super excited, you really got to ask yourself, is this the right school? Because it really is exciting. Uh, but for me, I don't know if this is, you know, schools aren't thinking a lot about this right now, but what's exciting me is, I don't know if you're familiar with the maker movement or, like, you know, the lab movement, like MIT's lab. Um, I don't know if you've ever had, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a pitch for her to be a, to be a, uh, to come on as a guest, is Tikva Wiener. I don't know if you know her from uh, Frisch. Oh, um, she's outstanding. But, but explain, explain, explain to our listeners, please, uh, um, the, the maker and, and the M- MIT lab. Absolutely. I mean, it basically, it's just, it's the idea of creating a space in a school that really um, supports creativity among its students. Um, you know, it's creativity, innovation, it's almost open-ended. Uh, you do have to have certain things in there, but, you know, like a 3D printer, I mean, you don't have to have that, but those are the kind of things we're seeing, 3D printers, um, Arduino, um, little micro computers, uh, you know, even just wood, you know, and textiles. But the idea is creating a space where we say to students, it's okay to actually do something that you're interested in. Um, and being able to, I know with real school, they do, you know, they're making apps and websites and blogging. Um, so that movement is awesome. And the makers movement is a little more of the like, do-it-yourself movement for kids to adults. So I'm actually taking my son, uh, as I think it's in May, up in, uh, in Northern California to the makers fear. Um, so it's just a movement of do-it-yourselfers. But with technology, it's allowed for, you know, it just expanded what's possible. And now schools are taking advantage of saying we need to encourage this in our schools, creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship, things like that. So that's exciting me right now as part of the larger picture of other things like blended learning and education technology in general. But this is the one I'm, I'm loving right now. Okay, but what I'm hearing from you is, is really a, a parent needs to walk into the school and see two things needs to see the teachers jumping up and down because of the excitement of this time. But really, we should see the students doing the same thing. Uh, I mean, yes, that is, that is what we, you know, we want. I mean, listen, there's, it's, we're in a, it's, a, it's a challenging time right now because, you know, schools, like high schools have to get kids into college, and middle schools got to get kids into high schools, and we still have these standardized tests that I personally think, in the most part, are, they're, they're a waste. They're not necessarily telling us what we need to know. But we have to prepare our kids for some of that because it's reality. But more importantly, we have to prepare our kids for their future. And that future is, you know, if you watch any video on 21st century learning, is something that we don't fully understand. So we have to give them those skills. And those skills are a lot more about being creative and to be able to communicate and to be able to just be in a world that's a little bit unknown, uh, being comfortable with that. And uh, if you have those skills, you're going to be excited. You're going to be having fun at school. Um, the question is, you know, what do we do with the other stuff that we still have to do, like SATs and college entrance exams and high school entrance exams? Um, and I don't know if, Ari, I don't know if you saw, there was an article recently, I guess a study was done, uh, basically a, a first study of its kind saying that SATs are actually coming out to, I think a lot of us knew this, but showing that they're, they're not predicting success in college. Did, um, did you tweet that today? Somebody tweeted that at me today. Was that I, I you? I did tweet I did tweet that, and because okay. I, I love, you know, it's, it's, it's important. I mean, it's not that the content isn't important, but the SATs themselves may not, you know, it isn't the predictor that we hoped 
you know, that we, that colleges think uh, it is. Um, and so maybe we need to rethink, is that the best predictor for success in college and life and, and so on? Uh, that 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 is, I think, 100% interesting. You know, we've spoken about uh, Hour to Code. Uh, we had some great YU guys on last week who who spoke about the fact that they're, you know, they've got these great businesses and they've started a couple up, but it's almost ridiculous that they're outsourcing all the coding because this really should be second, you know, secondary language for them. Um, and uh, it's not there yet, but I'm, you know, positive for, for your kids and your students and, and please God for mine. Uh, as well, this will be something that we make sure to uh, to include in the basic, uh, you know, education for our students so they can participate. But also, <clears throat> excuse me, the ability to, to whether you said woodworking or whatever else it might be, to expand their horizons in a way that's uh, that's extremely positive. Look, I think we could have a whole show on on what we think university is going to look like in uh, ten yeah. or fifteen years from now and which ones will be around. But that we're not we're not going to do that right now. Um, what's <clears throat> okay? So that's what's what's most exciting. You mentioned something about the teachers, and the teachers should be jumping up and down. Uh, I agree with you 100%. What do you say to the teachers who I, I was at? I was in a school, a local school, uh, this morning uh, at a presentation um, of a new math technology program, and the the a new math technology program. And the teacher's first reaction was, "Oh my goodness, this is going to replace me." So that teacher's not jumping up mm-hmm. and down and didn't give me the opportunity to explain how this is not going to replace her. How do, you, how do you speak to our teachers out there? Sure. So I don't know. This actually might be the first public announcement of this, Bob, although I think it's going to be going out soon. Uh, I don't know. I didn't tell you, Arya, but I'm, I'm going to be leaving the White School Partnership at the end of the summer. Um, I love what I do there, but I've been given the opportunity to be a principal uh, at the school that I graduated from, from Valley Torah High School. Um, so I'm jumping in there because I want to be able to have those conversations with teachers and make that change in a meaningful way. Uh, and so to, and not only am I going to answer theoretically, but in, you know, coming next fall, I'll be answering it, uh, in reality. And, you know, I guess I, I'd say we have to stop looking at our schools. We, we say we have to, you know, stop looking at it as if, it, as if it's Google, you know, because we always look at Google culture We're like, oh, this would be an amazing school. We have to look at schools as schools. And it's a specific culture happening there. And we have to make sure that when we're talking to teachers and we're talking about change, we're, we're actually focused first on the human side of that. So forget about the technology. Forget about the models of education. Remember, you're talking to human beings who have been doing it for a certain amount of time. You know, they've been doing it relatively successfully or, you know, even if they've had challenges, but they're human beings that we need to focus on first. So... 100%, there's no technology that will get rid of a teacher. What I say to teachers is that the technology, one, will enhance what you're doing. Um, in regard to online learning, and I know that you're, you know, that's something that's near to you, um, it expands the role of the teacher. But it will never, you know, replace the teacher, whether or not a teacher is building a course and then has removed themselves, or whether they're teaching in Los Angeles for students in New York, um, or whether it means that they get to spend more time in a classroom one-on-one with students. But to think technology will will in any way replace a teacher is just it's a mistake. Um, and the problem is the leaders making the mistake and sort of pitching the technology before they're pitching the amazing teachers they have. So this comes back full circle, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have a pause uh, for both myself. I don't know how interested the audience is. So I've never broken news on our show before. So... <laughs> Frankly, I was hoping someone was going to call and buy us out and we were going to get, like, employee stock options or something like that. But second to that happening, this is really mazel tov. That's a, Thank uh, you very much. It's, uh, I'd say it's a loss for the YU school partnerships, but it's not. I, I know that you have, uh, you know, challenges letting go of stuff, so you're still going to be a very active resource, um, sort of begrudgingly or willingly. We're, we're all going to continue to, to, to follow you and be in touch with you, but, but what a win for uh, for Valley Torah and and LA, if you look at the landscape of the schools uh, in LA, there's been a lot of uh, movement for some cutting edge and and increasing horizons. And and you are going to be on that uh, the week that where all the sports athletes were talking about the Mount Rushmores of uh, of educators. You're still early in your career, so we're not going to put you up there yet. But it's exciting to see all of these dynamic educators in L.A. And, and seeing what you guys are doing to the West Coast of education. So mazel tov, that's really exciting. Thank, thank you. I mean, first of all, I, you're, I, I'm excited to be, to be in the same group as, 
you know, the, the schools, the Eulas, the Shalhevets, and the Yeshiva High Techs. I mean, these are great educational leaders. So I'm excited to collaborate with them. And I would say you're 100% right. I mean, I'm not, you know, it, it was a very difficult decision. I'm very sad leaving the White School Partnership. I owe so much to Scott and to Jane, um, who have mentored me. And I, I, I wouldn't be at the place I am today if it weren't for them and the amazing team that I work with. So um, it's definitely not... You know, it's really, truly bittersweet, but I am excited to take everything I've learned um, and put it into practice. And I'm sure they'll be very excited to have professional site visits out to L.A. whenever you invite them. 100%, yes. The weather here has been fantastic, and I I have family in Jersey. I know it's uh, been rough for you guys. It's, uh, <laughs> not, I'm not even going to focus on it. We've, <laughs> we've, I believe this week is going to be the first week where it's predicted that the students will be in school for all five days, which is, uh, you know, going to be pretty record setting for us out here on the East Coast. So, uh, uh, for all of our listeners, and actually I'm surprised where some of the listeners come from internationally, which is, which is pretty exciting. We made a, a great connection with somebody from Renana and one of our guests a couple weeks ago, and then, we had somebody from, uh, I think it was the Netherlands or, or Denmark had, a, had another question. It's, it's just interesting where everybody's at. Uh, we know that we are New York, New Jersey centric. It's, it's not on purpose. So, uh, so we apologize, but we are excited that you're listening to the Nachum Siegel Network here on Tech Talk with Ari Lights. And we have a very, uh, uh, excellent guest with us, Dr. Eliezer Jones from the YU High School Partnership, soon to be principal of Valley Torah High School in LA and really a thought leader uh, in Jewish education with, I would say, a subspecialty uh, in education technology. Um, so just from a guy who, who preaches plans and preaches vision and leadership, uh, w- when is your plan for Valley Torah? When, when do you have the opportunity to sort of roll up your sleeves and, and sort of parsing that out? Well, I officially start August 1st. Um, there's no question, like I said, the work I've already done is, is going to help lay a really strong foundation um, you know, I, I feel like I'll hit the ground running. Um, I had a, I've had a lot of after-hours meetings, and I definitely am one that I don't want to start my first day August first. I want to be thinking about it and really start, you know, uh, really with a, you know, with a strong plan before then. But, you know, for Valley Torah and for any of the schools out there, you know, planning process and implementation process, and you know, being able to assess that process, it, it really is a multi-year process. So, um, you know, there's the, the only rush is because we want to do what's best for students, but you don't want to rush it too much. So, uh, you know, we'll start really strong August 1st, and hopefully, you know, we'll see some great things right away, but it really it's going to take a few years uh, to not only, you know, grow, but also to become, you know, leaders in the field uh, and to hopefully help and collaborate with other schools. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you've, in addition to vision used, collaborate a couple times, which Many schools, especially ones that might be perceived as competitors, and I don't know the L.A. landscape well enough to know that, but knowing uh, certainly your relationship with, with Ari Siegel, who's out there, and with Dov Emerson, Yeshiva Tech, and I, I'm not leaving out any schools deliberately. <coughs> I'm just not invited out to L.A. nearly often enough. Um, <laughs> Anytime you want, buddy. <laughs> hint, 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 February in New York. Um, but, uh, but I think that's a new, it's a new move. I think if we've learned anything from the technology industry, uh, we had on uh, somebody who, uh, several different guests uh, who are big proponents of this WeWork spaces, so co-working and incubators and accelerators, <laughs> where it's almost silly if our goal is to enhance education for all of the students. Now, granted, you're at Valley Torah and my wife is at Halbin, but the goal is that there's students who need to grow. Um, and uh, and as you said, it really starts with the human component, um, which is yep. the first the first major thing. Okay, so for... You, you really spoke to the teacher component. You're, you're going to be able to speak to, and you're speaking to the administrator component. You spoke to the parents. So it, let's say you were a student, and, and you went back uh, sort of, uh, you know, in time, uh, uh, I won't say how many years, but a couple of years. What, what would excite you most about a classroom today versus when you were, oh, Valley Torah is a great example. What would excite you, Eliezer Jones, as a student, a sophomore, maybe in two years from now at Valley Torah, uh, that uh, you could never have dreamt of when Eliezer Jones was really a sophomore in Valley Torah? Right. That, that's a, I, I think about that often because I think a lot of what we're hearing today, you know, it's not new in the sense that the kind of teaching and learning we're doing is something that is only applicable to today's students. You know, I think it was applicable to when I was in high school. It was applicable to, you know, kids before, you know, before then as well. It's just that technology, I think, has allowed us 
to do some of the things that maybe we weren't able to do. So um, I, I actually wrote about I have a blog, if I can pitch it. It's uh, ejscafe.com. And I wrote about this, about the maker's movement. And I was thinking about when I was a kid, I used to bring toys to class. And I used to tinker with them and play with them. And I'd get in trouble. You know, not in first grade. First grade, it was okay if it was Friday, because that's when you're allowed, you know, share day. But beyond that, you really couldn't bring your own toys. You couldn't experiment. You couldn't break things and see how, you know, how you can put it back together. And certainly as you got older, it got worse and worse. So I was a very bored student. Um, so I think things like I, I know it's something we want to see at Valley Torah, something we want to, you know, we've, um, but to be able to integrate more of the hands-on learning, um, things like project-based learning. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with High Tech High here in San Diego. Um, it's an independent charter school. Uh, but if you haven't and your listeners haven't, Google it. I mean, it is. Unbelievable, but fully project-based, um, and things like that. You know, is it gets the the students, you know, it gets them motivated, gets them to do something that's meaningful to them. There's still content. The teacher's still heavily involved, but there's a lot more flexibility, you know, for the students to really follow their passion. You know, same thing with blended learning. The opportunity to have multiple ways to you know connect to the learning. Those are the things that would have excited me when I was younger, um, and certainly things like real school and labs like that, I mean, I would have just got, I would have never left school if that was in my school. So I, I would tell you, you know, from from my read on it, I don't know how many of us actually appreciate this. The thing that I would think back on, because, uh, I, I, and I want you to explain to the listeners if we have a minute or two left, a little bit more about project-based learning, because I think that is important. But to me, you know, the schools at some point in time, and credit to educators like you and, and Rabbi Lerner and others, um, and NCSY, who I think made the mandate of the 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 ruchnius of the school uh, to take much more precedent. I mean, you know, from both of our joint NCSY experiences, it's difficult to find a school today that doesn't have a student activity coordinator. And I know growing up, my school didn't have a student activity coordinator. Um, my guess is yours didn't, but maybe it did. And, and Shabbatones and sort of that component that to, to bring the the feeling, not just color war tour through or Sharia a couple days a week. So that that to me... Uh, I think was very exciting. Just uh, we we don't have that much time, Dr. Jones. Can you give maybe a sixty second explanation on what project based learning is? Absolutely. I mean, project based learning is basically exploring real uh, real world problems, uh, and you're working backwards. You find out what that problem is. You know, you have this driving question. You know that, that you know you want to solve this problem, and then there's content. There's a project you're working on to solve it. Uh, that project, you know, really could be different choices for the students. It doesn't have to be the same project. Um, and then there's a sort of foundation of content, um, but there's a lot of choice. Uh, but really, that it's, it's really that connecting the learning to something real world, that would be, the to me, the definition. Um, and I don't think that there's anything better in learning than making it meaningful to the students and to connect it to the real world. Uh, that, to me, is probably the best way to do that. So um, I recommend schools looking into that a little bit more, and when there's an opportunity to definitely experiment and try that. Yeah, and it generates, I think, uh, I think on one of Tikva's tweets I saw, it has a propensity to generate maybe even a longer uh, desire for lifelong learning, which I think is one of the things that, uh, that certainly I've heard from you, I've heard from Scott, I've heard from all of my mentors uh, in this uh, education business. And, and, uh, 100%. To, to me, it's very, it's very valuable. Look, Dr. Jones, um, it's been a pl- it's been a pleasure having you uh, having you on the show. I-, I anticipate we're going to be spending time together in a couple of days uh, in uh, Uniondale, Long Island. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to seeing you and, and all the exciting things that are happening at IJ. I- I'm hoping that we have a chance to do the show either live from there. If not, we will have a recap. And if we have the recap, I'd love to bring you back on and and to. We'll have everybody there. We'll have the, the administrators, the teachers, um, the thought leaders, and, and, and a lot of the, the developers and some of the new technologies, of which the, the company that I work for uh, and helped to found is, is certainly one of them. And uh, uh, to have an expert like you on with us uh, today and to give us a full half an hour is really, really a pleasure and, and was insightful for me. I'm sure it was for our audience as well. So uh, best of luck in your new venture and continue to have in closing this one out and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. It's really, it's really a pleasure, and I, I definitely would come back anytime you want. So thank you so much. Okay. All the best. Thanks, Dr. Jones. I want to thank everybody for listening to us this hour of Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Arya Lightstone. You've been listening to us on jmintheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. We are extremely proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera. More than just a camera store, please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. 
Uh, we try to tie uh, the tech to Israel. Today we tied, we had a travel component in the beginning and, and the concept of entrepreneurialism, in that case, and relationships triumphing over technology, which was sort of changing an industry, and then had the chance to speak to a, a thought leader in the Jewish day school movement um, about how technology enhances our schooling and education. And it really was a, was a pleasure. I want to thank everybody for listening to Tech Talk. Until next time, have an outstanding week.